Even though you would sometimes disagree with him, he would listen. There are things that we can be doing right now to have open dialogue, to get public input, and to be able to make solid decisions for the state of Alaska. You know, politics, Mr. President, in my estimation, is a character test. Welcome to the Empty Office Podcast. I'm Mike Mason. Today, Senator Tobin and I are going to be joined by the political coordinator for the Teamsters Local 959. Patrick Fitzgerald is a former legislative aide who has experience in political campaigns in Alaska. He's also a former college athlete. And uh, he joined the Teamsters in 2021. And the reason why uh, we're going to be talking to Patrick today is because Senator Tobin has been working with Patrick on Senate Bill 109 to protect the free speech rights of uh, unions in the state of Alaska. So, Senator Tobin, Patrick Fitzgerald, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Thank you guys for having me. I want to begin with unions. And as I said right before we went on, uh, my dad is a retired Teamster in southwest Missouri. One of my early memories is him carrying me on the picket line. Uh, and I think they went on strike perhaps three or four times, uh, one of which I remember was really quite lengthy and changed his entire world. And, and I know Senator Tobin is a massive union supporter, like in, in a daily, her daily life, she makes decisions on, on companies that are unions and, and that kind of thing. So now, uh, uh, Patrick, let's, let's talk about unions real quick. Unions have changed the world, basically, right? Absolutely. Yes. Um, so Alaska in particular is a, is a very unique state. Um, we're one of the few, uh, more Republican states that are also supportive of organized labor. Um, talking with other political coordinators in the Teamsters International, uh, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, they are constantly surprised when we are able to pass uh, workers' rights, um, increase workplace safety, have more uh, pay wage increases, as well as get union contracts on federal jobs in Alaska, and they always ask, how are you doing this in a red state? Um, and it's from the support of amazing legislators, both uh, Democrats, independents, and Republicans, who see value in working families being able to provide, put food on the table, and get the work done that is uh, both qualified and something that is uh, is able to kind of lift all ships when uh, you know, workplaces organize and they are able to band together and complete jobs, uh, usually under budget and uh, on a timely manner. Senator Tobin, did I get that right, that you make daily decisions based upon the uh, unions and collective bargaining? I really do. It's, a, it's something that I think you vote with your dollar. And it's really important that you use your dollar wisely to support policies and practices that ensure everyone is getting not only a fair deal, but also a fair wage and a supported work environment. I was just thinking about how I have been on this endeavor to replace um, some clothing as I try to practice a minimal wardrobe, uh, which I, I know folks can't see me uh, on this podcast, but I wear Carhartts almost every single day because I happen to just like one style of clothing when I'm in the off hours. And it's been really frustrating because people need to be more transparent about whether they have union labor, whether they're practicing fair wages, if they are engaged in corporate responsibility, if they have social responsibility programs, if they are trying to 
reduce their carbon footprint. And I won't buy a company that isn't transparent in those practices, that doesn't put that information out uh, for public consumption and doesn't follow suit. Uh, so it's been really interesting as I've gone through this process the last few weeks with my spouse complaining that late into the evening, I'm researching about how can I buy a pair of socks that are union made, or how can I make sure that the coffee cups that we're gonna be using in our household are union made, or, and particularly made in the United States, because I want to really focus in on that, that carbon footprint part. It's really important for Alaskans to think about these things when they're going out to engage with businesses and how they are in supporting, the, how they support their community. So I want to just ask a couple of uh, uh, big picture questions before we delve into the actual bill that uh, that we've been working on. So currently about 10.8% of workers belong to a union. And I think that's about 6.3% in the private sector. Uh, Patrick, I'm not exactly sure what the numbers are here in the state of Alaska, but they're probably a little better than that, I would think. And I pulled a quote here that I've had stashed away for a little while from a Nobel Prize winning economist, Paul Krugman, who writes for the New York Times. He wrote that America needs a union revival uh, if uh, we were to have any hope of reversing spiraling inequality. And what he's talking about is income inequality, which we are seeing across the across the globe, but really in the United States, it is it is prevalent. Alaska is the best state in the union in regards to income inequality for a number of reasons. Uh, on the big picture, what is the state of unions and collective bargaining here in uh, the United States and the in the state of Alaska? Uh, is it are things looking up? Are we uh, are we going to have a revival or are we going to continue to see uh, workers struggle for kind of uh, uh, marginal increases in benefits and wages? So uh, a little statistic that a lot that has gone around the labor community is America favors uh, unions more than they do hot dogs. Um, I don't know who conducted the poll, but we've kind of been flaunting the numbers of 71% of Americans approve of organized labor or unionization. Um, only 70% approve of hot dogs with uh, you know Memorial Day having just happened, 4th of July just right around the corner. Um, you gotta, you gotta kind of, it's something to think about when you see people at the grill eating hot dogs and things like that, because I think it's something that is, it's, it's coming and there is a revitalization coming in the country with younger people, um, joining the workforce. Um, I was born in 1992, I'm 30 years old. Uh, but a lot of younger people are recognizing that they're graduating with college degrees or they're going through a, a trade program. And they're realizing that both the cost of living is quite tremendous. Um, many of them, including myself, when I graduated from college, had to work multiple jobs in order to uh, make ends meet. Uh, a lot of the younger people are seeing the value in a collective bargaining agreement to where they're able to have a voice in the workplace. You see a lot of businesses use the terms, you know, we're family. Oh, you don't need a union. There should be nothing coming in between uh, you and the management, you won't be able to get promoted if you're part of a collective bargaining agreement. The people in the United States joining the workforce are recognizing that that doesn't that doesn't fly. Amazon is kind of a huge one where you see you saw some organization attempts happen and fail. Yet finally, they were able to break the mold in New York when Amazon organized, and the organizer has almost risen to celebrity status uh, in the country because they were saying how, you know, these large corporations that are making billions of dollars in profit are, they have a, uh, their business model is focused on 
having a worker for three months and then recycling them to someone else coming in. Uh, when you organize, you gain so much power in the workplace to not only for pay and benefits, but for a grievance process. I think we'd be remiss if we did not tell folks as we head into hot dog eating season that there are many union-made hot dog companies that you can purchase, uh, including my personal favorite hot dog, which is Hebrew National. I love those hot dogs. They're so tasty. So I want to turn to the bill that uh, you two have been working on. Uh, This is Senate Bill uh, 109, uh, employee rights, employee speech that has been dubbed the Employee Free Speech Act. The big picture here is to protect the free speech rights of union members. Uh, There's a lot of ways that employers can manipulate the workplace and make it difficult for uh, union members or those seeking to become a member of a union from organizing, getting information, and 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 kind of collectively talking to to each other. Right. That's that's kind of the basis for this bill. Yes, absolutely. And you said the magic word there, which was organizing. Um, so this would, the, the bill as it's written right now would apply to um, both union and non-union aspects of the uh, Alaska workforce. And basically what it does is it allows an opt-out provision without retaliation to something called captive audience meetings. And a captive audience meeting is when an employer um, has a meeting during work hours where they can bring all their employees into a setting and basically talk to them about anything they want. It could be something as simple as, you know, hey, we got this update from corporate. Just want to let you guys know this is a new standard that we have to all the way to the other side of, okay, we have an election coming up. I want everyone here to donate and vote for this individual candidate or this ballot measure, whatever it might be. And what this bill does is it does not prevent the employer from having those meetings, but it does allow the employees to return to work without any repercussions. So that means that if an employee attends one of these meetings and it turns into something they don't like, if they don't like that political party, they don't like that specific candidate, if they're talking about religion and they don't follow the same religion, it allows them to return to the workplace without any retaliatory uh, actions from their employer meaning a cut in hours, uh, a bump in weight, uh, decrease in wages, anything like that. Um, a very important part of this bill is also that it does, uh, an employee cannot leave for operational matters. So if there is a safety issue, if they say, okay, we're bringing in this new water heater and it's gonna take some time to install. So this part of the office or warehouse, whatever it might be is off limits then that does not allow them to leave the, the meeting since that's operational. But it's something that we feel um, is, is very much abused in the workplace when it comes to employers' personal views that they're trying to influence onto their employees. Early in my professional career, I had an employer who attended church, was very active in their church community, and was very passionate about spreading the word of the gospel in their mindset. And it was an unspoken expectation that we as employees would sit and listen to their version of their religion, their interpretation of the Bible, and often would be asked and in most expectations required to pray with them. It was very uncomfortable and it was very awkward because there was all different perspectives in the room and none of those were 
elevated or honored or supported. It was just the the employer's ideologies that were being perpetuated onto the employees. And we would often have little quiet meetings amongst ourselves about how do we tell our employer we don't want to participate in this because we feared reprisal. We feared we would lose something if we pushed back. And this bill allows for individuals to not fear that retaliation, for them to say, you know what? I don't want to listen to you spread your version of your faith to me while I'm at work. And that is acceptable for me to ask for that accommodation because nobody should be forced to listen to someone else's personal, political, or religious views while in their place of employment. It makes an unfair labor practice and it makes an unsafe environment. A lot of people, both elected officials and everyday people you see at this, on the street, they don't realize how often this happens. Um, this is something that happens more often than not, actually, in unorganized workplaces. Um, I've been subjugated to it uh, multiple times. And as we've kind of been moving forward with this piece of legislation, educating so many people on how often this happens and how much of a plague this is in the workplace has been kind of eye-opening because I, I work for the Teamsters. I live where we see these things happen all the time. A lot of people don't recognize that this is a very common practice for employees to try to influence or employers to try to influence their employees. I was saying this last night in a Fairview Community Council about the broader or bigger perspective of all this. And I really looked back at some of the data that has been coming out from ICER around how many working age Alaskans we have lost. People are leaving the state. We are in what I consider an employment crisis. We don't have enough bodies to do the work. There's not enough folks available with the skill sets to plow our streets. There's not enough folks available with the skill sets to practice uh, good quality behavioral health in our prison systems. We have such a high rate of open positions within our Department of Corrections. We don't have enough Alaskans to process food stamp benefits. And we continue to see what occurs when we don't have enough bodies in the room. And the frustrating part that I see is because we've seen these orchestrated attacks on our unions, instead of helping us keep Alaska open for business and talk about how we have incredible opportunities for economic vitality and success, we have our union memberships having to push back on administrative policies that are trying to bust their ability to collectively bargain. We have organizations who are fighting so that they can have a fair working environment. So when they're driving kids to school, they have machinery that works and they are in safe routes and that they have a high quality living wage. It is very infuriating to me because as these stories percolate out to the rest of the United States, I am curious about what people are looking at when they think, should I move to Alaska? Should I go on this great big Alaskan adventure when even our own state doesn't offer a defined benefit within our state employee system. Our teachers don't get social security and they're in a union and they have organized and they are, they are pleading for an ability to retire with dignity and that is not being provided to them by the state of Alaska. It is very fascinating to me to watch how in one breath people talk about how there's all this opportunity for economic success in Alaska and yet we don't realize that that economic success is built on the backs of union membership, that is built on the ways of these folks being in the room, doing the high quality work and making Alaska 
a great place to live and thrive. All three of us have experience as legislative aides in the uh, in the Alaska State Legislature. Senator Tobin, of course, working for Senator Begich. Uh, uh, Patrick Fitzgerald worked for uh, uh, Representative Harry Drummond, right? Uh, yep. For two years, three years, something like that? Yep, it was three years with Representative Drummond. Okay. And then I worked for uh, Representative Tuck in many capacities for for many years. So I want to talk about the kind of the legislative process. So you two are working on a bill to do a particular thing. That thing is honorable and should be done. But how do you make that thing get done in the legislative process that we have here in the state of Alaska? So this is uh, this is my first experience working from the other side uh, as an advocate for uh, for a group rather than being a staffer in the building and um, going through the legislative process in that capacity. Basically, what I have kind of done and offered for um, not just Senator Tobin, but anyone else who's carrying legislation for us is how much help do you want from us? How much in the background do you want us? I, for one, I, I, I love going into offices that are that are that are unfriendly, that are not necessarily sold on the legislation. Um, and to Senator Tobin's point, there is a vast majority of the Senate majority who are supportive of workers' rights, um, including worker freedom, which I appreciate so much. It's very refreshing to see. But I like having those tough conversations. I like being able to change hearts and minds and let them know, um, you know, this is not this is not just a, a union bill. This is a bill for your constituency. This is a bill for the people that you were sent down here to represent. And I've had conversations that have gone south and I've been told to respectively leave offices. I've had conversations where it, it's changed the mind of people. And they say, I've never thought of it that way. A lot of uh, elected officials, they have children who are entering the workforce, who are already in the workforce. And I explained to them, this is how this can benefit them. And it's something I think that is, is needed because when there is, when, when you're in a partisan environment like the Alaska State Legislature is, can be, you know, there may be, there may be people who refuse to meet with other legislators. There may be people who, no matter what, if, if their name's on this, I'm not going to support it, which is understandable. That's how some people make their approach to policy. And that's okay. That's something that we have to deal with. And I'm not talking about this bill specifically. I'm just saying in general, but those are the conversations where I like to play my part in being a third party going in and saying, you know, this is how it affects the people that you represent. This is the benefit that they can see from it. But that's kind of been my strategy is, you know, send me into the tough battle, send me to go and advocate um, to someone who is absolutely against it. I had an, an unbelievably surprising meeting with a senator who has typically been uh, not very union friendly and I went in and just wanted to update them. We had a uh, we had a strike earlier this year, and they represented part of that constituency that was on strike. And to my shock, they were supportive. They said that you, the unions in the right, you guys are being treated unfairly, and I'm supportive of you. Now, there was nothing I, I didn't have an ask in the state legislature or anything like that regarding the strike, but it was something that I was surprised because. There are times when people can recognize bad actors and good actors. And when you're battling a, uh, a national corporation with people who are, from, who are from Alaska, Alaskans who have been working in this industry for 10, 20, 30 years, and you're able to 
kind of draw that line and say, your constituents are being attacked by this company that doesn't even have people here. They don't have offices here, anything like that. They kind of see the value in what an organized labor group can do to protect the people that they're representing in Juno. And I find that to be one of the one of the best ways to draw parallels of legislation that we're trying to pass and affects laws that we're trying to change in Alaska to help protect the working class, not only organized or unorganized, but something that they that will protect their constituencies. You know, one thing I think is really interesting, Mike, that many folks uh, might not know in our, our listenership is that finding a bill sponsor that's going to fight for your legislation is sometimes difficult. There's a lot of folks who will help draft a piece of legislation or will put effort into making sure that you can get something introduced by request. But finding that champion within the legislature takes time and it takes relationship building. And it's one thing that I do think Alaska has in spades is the relationships and the connections with everyday Alaskans and our elected officials. There is that dynamic where you'll catch somebody in Cars Safeway, or you'll be walking through Alaska Botanical Garden and you will see one of your elected officials and you can have an offline conversation with them and share an idea or a concept. And if they're on board, you can go pretty far in getting what you're hoping to accomplish passed through the legislative process. But you have to find that champion. And understandably, every legislator comes in with their interests or with their perspectives or potentially even with their bill ideas. And so finding that natural alignment does take a little bit of work. It means knowing who you're who you're talking to and what their background is. And that's one thing I really appreciate about Patrick and a lot of our union advocates is they know the legislator that that they're walking into the room of. They understand their voting history. They know a bit of their background. They've spent time doing the research. And that's one thing I would emphatically plea with the Alaska uh, constituency is know whose room you're walking into, know whose office you're walking into. I'm often surprised when I talk with folks and they really don't know much about my background, which is very publicly available. And I have to listen to them try to sell me on something that I'm 100% on board with, that they don't need to make the ask. I'm already going to say yes. And they should go talk to someone else who might not be as friendly. In the legislative process, everything is is possible if you put in the work. In, in, in the bottom line, you can get a lot done if you're willing to put in the work. Sometimes the work is extremely challenging and is not really... Uh, it's not something you can even explain to to many people because it's 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 politics, which is this awful thing that we are all kind of involved in. The Empty Office podcast is about to take a break for a, a few weeks. Part of that is because it's summertime here in Alaska and everybody's got stuff to do. I know Senator Tobin's got a whole thing, a bunch of things to do. Um, so I want to ask about kind of summer in Alaska, and I'm going to do this through something I saw in Patrick's biography. I saw that you were, or maybe still are occasionally, a river guide. Is that right? Yeah. So when I was, I was born and raised in Talkeetna, which uh, is is a great town. You know, it it has a huge tourism. It's a huge tourism destination in the summer. And uh, I worked for a, a rafting company, uh, Denali View Rafting Adventures. We would, uh, you know, we ran three trips up and down the Susitna, uh, Talkeetna, and Chulitna rivers. And it was always uh, it was always fun to go out, you know, on warm summer days and, you know, 
go out and try to show these uh, show people coming into the state how the beauty of what natural Alaska still is. Um, you know, we're, we have uh, thousands of miles of river that have been untouched still by any sort of humans development, anything like that. And people are awestruck that, you know, we're going down this, uh, you know, this, um, this large river and you don't see houses, you don't see, you know, you can't hear cars on the highway. It's something that's very unique to our state. And that was always something that I, I love and enjoyed uh, doing all through high school growing up and uh, into college as well when I come back for summers. Basically, summertime in Alaska is one of the great things on earth. It really is. So enjoy your summer. As soon as we get a summer, uh, <laughs> I, I fear that this is not going to be the summer of recent past. We have one last question that I want to ask. And this is the question that I've been asking everybody. And that is, uh, if you could choose one person, make that person dead or alive, and they uh, get to drop them into the Alaska State Senate to sit next to Senator Tobin to help us out, who would that person be? So, yeah, when you asked me that, um, one name came to mind right away, and that's, uh, and I'm a little bit biased here, but it's uh, International Brotherhood of Teamsters uh, President Sean O'Brien. He has, uh, he assumed, he was elected in November 2021 and assumed office in March 2022 and has been really a fierce advocate for advances in the workplace. He has gone uh, to Washington, D.C. and testified um, to multiple committees, both in the Senate and House, about the dire need for workplace improvements and for uh, an, an expansion of the middle class. Um, he has been tirelessly working on the UPS contract that we have coming up, um, as well as uh, if you if you search for him on social media, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it might be, he's had some some back and forth with some very anti labor senators uh, in the U.S. Senate. And it's been he, he's charismatic. He's someone who is very driven. He has a fire that a lot of people haven't seen. I mean, we we deal with retirees and old time teamsters and a long time, you know, all the time here. And they said that they haven't seen this type of motivation from a general president in years. And it's it's very inspiring. It gives me a ton of hope for the union movement. And it makes me proud to, to be a teamster and be part of this organization because of what he's doing, not only for our membership nationally, um, but also for working class Americans uh, all over the country. So plenty tough and union made. That's great. So uh, Patrick Fitzgerald, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Senator Tobin, thank you so much. We'll see you in several weeks, I think. So you have been listening to the Empty Office podcast, which is a production of the office of Senator Luke Gale Tobin. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on Substack, Spotify, and the Apple Podcast app. And we welcome your comments. I'll include email addresses in the show notes. I'm Mike Mason. Please be safe out there. From the country to the town. Police and buses held us